the larger point that was being made was that um, misinformation can can be uh, pervasive in certain parts of the world, and unfortunately, uh, it's having effects in some places better than others. I know Yehuda's mentioned look, Ryan, uh, Ryan, particular countries. I, I'm, I'm a columnist. I, oh. you know, I write in Arabic and English, uh, and um, I try to be very objective when it comes to, to U.S. foreign policy. And I fight the good fight, you know, because I, I, I know the Ukraine, you know, Russia, uh, Russia's war is, is, is uh, you know, uncalled for, you know, I, I understand what's going on. And I try to push that narrative. And there is a lot of people like me who studied in the West, understand the world, uh, you know, have higher critical thinking, you know, and uh, understand politics. But, you know, when, when we talk about, uh, 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 you know, Arab socialist intellectuals these people been 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 doing this for years and they they're very popular and uh you know they use the the same uh uh soviet talking point like equality and you know uh, all all this you know lovely narrative so the, the the us competing younger guys against these uh very established columnists and writer and political pundits uh uh you you know it's, it's it's kind of not fair fight uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting attacked, uh, uh, you know, by uh, uh, you know by these leftist communists and socialists in the Arab world. I'm getting attacked also by the the religious right. You know, oh, you you know, you know, you're too Americanized. You know what I'm saying? So, you, you know, yeah, you're taking it from both directions. From... You just can't win. I'm sorry, did we lose you? I have a question, which is, how does this connect to anything that? we at the Walter Report can do uh, about this for Ukraine, um, what would be the strategic and political utility of mobilizing Arab public opinion? Um, And um, what, if anything, should we change about our our approach on the national level that would uh, improve this situation, and if if there aren't like policy proposals that you would make on those specific subjects, I sort of fail to see what the point, I guess, uh, of this line of inquiry is. I'm not sure if he's having mic issues. Uh, that may be the reason he's muted. I'm gonna drop him down. Because I didn't mute him, I think he muted himself, and he's not responding. Uh, so I'm going to drop him down and send him an immediate request back to speak. I think so, he made some salient points, but I I agree with you, Portland. I uh, I don't know what if anything we can do to mobilize support in uh, Saudi specifically, other than to uh, tell MBS to increase production at Ramco. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the most useful thing that the Arab world can do to support Ukraine right now is displace Russian oil on the market. Um, They would make more money. um, They would further depress uh, demand for Russian oil. um, And they would support an oppressed, colonized um, borderline, well, not even borderline, um, effectively genocided minority. So, like, hey, that's a win for everyone. Yeah, I don't anticipate they'd be willing to come off of any of the weapons inventories that we've sold them over the last few decades. So, yeah, aside from that, uh, increasing oil production is or in-kind donations of, uh, you know, medical supplies. And, and I know they're already doing that to some degree. Um, they have I will say that much. Um, I hope we can get him back up. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, so I, yeah, I sort of understand uh, Portland's point of view that like it's it's we could very easily get in the weeds here and uh, not talk about uh, things that are useful to Ukraine. But uh, uh, I think, like Ryan said, there's like some salient points in there. It might be maybe more useful to like organize a uh, like a panel on it um, in terms of you know having maybe more more experts that can speak to it um in terms of like the middle east and uh the the russian invasion of ukraine um 
but yeah, I think like the stuff I was saying is 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 largely correct in terms of my understanding of of like the situation in the Arab world, I guess. Uh, uh, but so I guess if, if Portland uh, kind of doesn't want to talk about that, I, I did have a kind of a general question, right? Um, it's it's kind of a, a dumb, broad question, but I'll just go for it. Uh, so so drone economy, right? Um, in terms of knocking out something like an Orlon, which I don't really fully understand military designations of drones. I remember Colonel Spencer once talking about like class one drones or like the tiny little quadcopters. So maybe these are class two drones and like, I don't know, or predator drones, class three drones. Uh, anyway, um, these like medium aerial reconnaissance fixed wing drones, uh, they have to use man pads to take these out. And as far as I understand, like the drones are cheaper than the man pads and uh, Russia has a lot of these Orlons, and ideally, if we could find a cheaper or more effective way to take them out than man pads, it would be good, right? Um, so, I don't know, if you just had any general thoughts, like, uh, are there cheaper ways than man pads to take out Orlon drones? Uh, you know, are we seeing uh, some innovation on that front, or we just got to send them as many man pads as we can and just uh, hope for the best? Thanks. Um, so, um, you, you've got um, classes of drones which go from the the smallest like DJI DJI quadcopters which can be taken down by a relatively keen-eyed chap with a long barrel 12 gauge loaded with birdshot. They can also be taken down by uh, specially trained large birds, which I find hugely entertaining, um, and certain classes of electromagnetic weapons. Um, very frequently, the best way of taking down the lowest two classes of drones, which is, you know, everything up to the level of the Orlans, is actually electronic warfare. Um, the, the thing about electronic warfare assets is they take time to move around and they deny large swaths of airspace to the enemy. Uh, but then they know that that is stuff that you don't want them looking at, so they bring in uh, higher classes of drones. So the, the thing about this is that there is an uncomfortable middle space where there are certain families of drones which fly beyond the realms of the previously mentioned 12-gauge loaded with birdshot. Um, but which are cheap enough and produced in large enough numbers that um, they are more or less ubiquitous um, and for which the, the electronic attack options are not yet particularly good. Um, for those, there are large stocks of fairly elder, elderly um surface-to-air missile systems like Strela and Igla that can be used with very great effect. Like uh, Igla, for the most part, isn't much good against anything, uh, isn't much good against fast jets. It, it, it'll work against a, um, a helicopter, for example, but it, it doesn't have the turn or the rapid acceleration capabilities that you want if you're trying to uh, stop a low-flying fast drone. And they're available in quite large numbers. Um, at the moment, there is nothing for those drones that has the combination of being cheap, long-ranged, and effective. There are technologies that are being looked at and examined, such as uh, vehicle-mounted lasers, which are very, very cheap, shot for shot. Uh, but there's no prospect of those being deployed in in Ukraine. Um, uh, and there are various um, reasonably long-ranged microwave emitters, directional microwave emitters that are quite effective, but those aren't available in large numbers yet. So, yeah, the answer is a fairly unsatisfying, yeah, the stuff that's on the way but until that happens, I am perfectly happy for them to be blowing their borderline useless strailers and saving the ultra-high maneuvering star streaks um, for 
more important threats. Right, that makes sense. Um, I guess maybe just a, a follow-up question on that. Um, might we see a revival of maybe a cheaper, you know, Strela-like but slightly improved manpad uh, just for the purpose of, of that? Or you think, it sounds like you're more thinking that in the future they're going to shoot lasers at these things and they're not going to worry about uh, going back in time with Strelas. Yeah, honestly, the performance that I've seen out of some vehicle-mounted laser air defense platforms of late um, are, I mean, they are genuinely impressive. Uh, And I think those are likely to be the future. I I can't see, um, I can't see something like Strela remaining competitive for very long because we are moving into a place where, drones with the combination of high agility, good sensor packages and low cost and reasonable endurance are not that far away on the horizon. All right. Makes sense, man. I'll hop down. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I don't think we're getting uh, Mr. Alshamari back this evening, but maybe he'll be on another night. I think he's been on in the past, so we'll uh, table that discussion for another time. Gunther, go ahead. Oh, hi. Good evening. Uh, I had a question about uh, drones using some sort of uh, tight beam communication, microwave laser or something that is impervious to uh, electronic warfare. Uh, is that how, like, is that in use in military terms? Is that still kind of far away? Anyway, that's, that's my question. As long as you pre-program their flight path, they don't necessarily need to uh, transmit on an RF frequency in order to operate, um, assuming you, I guess, if you interrupt their GPS capabilities, that might uh, kind of screw up the whole thing. But uh, I would think if they had like a gyroscope and could maintain the basic telemetry stuff, they might be able to execute a, a flight path. You can, I know you can program regular like DJI drones to fly a particular uh, path uh, maybe you can't do DJI drones, and it's it's only the homemade ones. My brother does drones kind of as a hobby, so he's got some homebrew drones that he's built and owns a couple of DJI products. And, uh, yeah, you don't always have to physically maintain control of those things in order to operate them. I don't know if Portland has any. Uh, I think you're an EE, so maybe you've got some additional info to offer on this. Yeah, beam forming is a really important set of techniques. And um, unfortunately, the machinery that you need to do that is is really quite elaborate and probably not obtainable. I know for sure that it is already in use in some of the high-performance drones in use by the British and and American militaries. But um, I can't, off the top of my head, figure out how you could apply that set of technologies uh, to a small, low-cost drone. Beamforming actually is a quite difficult thing to do and requires quite a large set of machines. So the off-the-shelf drone systems, at least the, the controller that my brother uses, has a directional antenna and then like a wide-angle antenna on it. So it, it basically has a redundant system that keeps it in constant contact with the drone. And one of those has a, a little more uh, width of signal, I think, and the other one has more of a directional antenna. But I could be wrong on that. I, I'm not an engineer. I have a few electrical nerds in my life that keep me more than covered up on technical issues. So I just try to let myself be ignorant on that topic because I have a deep bench to call. Um, y- yes. So so tight beaming and, um, and full-on beam forming, as implied by the term tight beam, are like broadly similar concepts, but one is taking the idea um, a whole lot further than the other. Um, and it, it's it's just important to understand the distinction between the two. Do you remember me uh, uh, 
being slightly astonished at how few transmit receive modules the um the tor has um the the reason i was astonished about that is that that defines um how much beam forming you can actually do so having an antenna that um uh projects a signal um over a reasonably small cone is not murderously difficult but actually sending a tight beam um that's actually extremely difficult because the, that beam will will always be subject to a phenomenon called um electrostatic blooming um, so all of those like light diffusion sorry essentially like light diffusion like a flashlight versus a laser beam uh, yeah yeah it's exactly that all of those photons will bounce off one another and will want to scatter so it's it's complicated and it actually requires quite a lot of um fairly heavy duty machinery to to get to the point where you could talk to a, a drone over you know many tens of kilometers and a jammer would still have the advantage of the inverse square law before that, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion of the crabs uh, being deployed in Donbass? Seems like the right place to deploy them. They're extremely tough. They've got a really good, accurate gun, uh, high rate of fire. They can, you know, emplace, complete a fire mission and displace very quickly. Um, yeah, that's that's probably where I'd put them. I'd deploy the high Mars down south around Hassan and the uh, the crabs up up by the Donbass. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I don't recall if that was Gunther or Phil that asked the the last question about the the drone ability to uh, resist EW technology. Was that you, Gunther? Yeah. Uh, yes. Did we? Liberal? Did you just mute me? No, I was trying to bring someone up. My bad. Oh yeah, no, I see how it is. <laughs> hey Ryan, sorry, I was I'm trying kidding. to bring someone I don't up. think you muted me. I think you muted everybody else. Uh, no, it was inadvertent. Thank you. I know. Sorry. I'm just I giving you a hard time. I know. Uh, I always do. For everybody that doesn't know, the mute everyone button is immediately next to the add requested speaker button. So depending on whether or not somebody drops off of the speaker request. You can try to add a speaker and inadvertently mute everybody mid-sentence. Yeah. Uh, just a little behind the scenes on <laughs> the stupid yeah. Thank you. design flaws of the Twitter spaces. Uh, Gunther, I didn't know if you had a follow-up question about uh, drone technology. I think uh, at least some of the, the signal stuff is right up Portland's alley. And I like to hear somebody no. who knows what they're talking about. So... No, I think I think that all makes sense. Uh, 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 I think it sounds like basically they just try to try and use their drones in between windows of EW and and then make the most of it. Yeah, I mean that's basically what you do. And um, you know, um, in in Mosul, for example, uh, we discovered that the best way of dealing with those bloody quadcopters. Um, was a Mossberg 590A1 with a really long barrel. Um, other than that, you know, if we could get the Ukrainians a shitload of Mossberg 590s, I would be uh, in favor of this. Um, you know, in the long run, I actually think that the solution um, to Russia's use of drones is probably going to wind up coming in the form of ever increasingly severe sanctions um limiting the number of drones they can actually deploy you guys really have to up your shotgun game uh, how how useful would would be the the cheetahs in in dealing with drones uh you're gonna have to be more specific what kind of cheetah the 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 anti-aircraft the four-year-old anti-aircraft systems that are theoretically coming from germany oh the good part yes yeah, the good part 
Um, yeah, people have been talking about how that's going to be a game changer in the drone war front, and I violently disagree. Uh, Cheetah complicates the uh, close air support game in a really, really solid way, uh, but it does so by throwing up a wall of high-velocity uh, tungsten fragments. Um, um, what goes up must come down. Yeah, what goes up must come down. And, um, you know, if you think about, um, you know, the, you're, you're going to use those kinds of guns for engaging at comparatively short range, at comparatively short distance against very, very fast maneuvering targets. Um, none of which uh, really counts for um, for for that kind of class one drone. Um, and that they they really are very useful assets because the Ukrainians only have two air defense assets that can keep up with a mobile uh, armored column and perform, uh, anti-air, anti-access um, operations, and that's the Stormer and the Gepard. And so those need to be kept for doing that job. Um, I, I they, These are also quite clever, fused, um, electronically programmed rounds that I think... You know, they get fired in extremely large numbers and taken collectively um, that they're, they're not much cheaper than Australia, if at all. And, and what kind of I drones keep... are we talking about shooting down with the get part? Just cost versus reward. Um, you could probably bring down. Well, you couldn't bring down Great Eagle. That would be out of range. Um. I don't know. There are so many different drones out there. Um, it's difficult to know which ones would typically be operating inside of the realms where the Gepard could hit it. You know, Gepard is is like it's the teeth in the trap. Um, we were talking about um, the air defense onion a couple of nights back, right? use things like Patriot or S-300 to deny the medium altitude space. You use um, uh, Stormer to deny the upper reaches of the low altitude space. Then you force your opponent to fly at treetop height, and then you start throwing things like... Um, Oh, what's the American one? Stingers and Starstreak. Yeah, and you you force your opponent to choose between giving your missile a tail chase aspect or turning into the attack and forcing an overshoot because that firing solution is much, much difficult, much, much more difficult for the um for the airborne missile to, to keep up with. Well, if you turn into the attack, and that attack has a couple of guepards sitting at the other end of it. Well, you are about to fly into a ball of flying tungsten, and that's really just a bad day for everyone. Um, I don't see how um, how that capability is useful for dealing with drones, which are primarily dangerous because they are difficult to see and detect in time for it to be useful. They either fly too high for the Gepard to hit, or they're too discreet for the Gepard to actually engage. You're more likely to see this thing when you're out there on foot carrying your long barrel 12 gate. Uh, Nathan, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I'm, I'm super curious about how the Ukrainians are detecting some of these some of these drones. Um, quadcopters generally are, are a little more noisy and they generally fly a little bit lower. Um, however, the Orlin and some of the other fixed-wing aircraft, I'm guessing they just kind of get lucky by keeping their eyes on the sky because I don't know. Um, I mean, I can't think of a way that, uh, other than just seeing them with your eyeball, 
that they'd be able to detect him. I know that the Ukrainians, um, they operate something called the Lalika 100, which is, um, which is a smaller fixed wing aircraft um, that operates on, on an autopilot system that I, I, I use, I, I build hobby fixed wing drones as, um, as for fun. And uh, you can, I mean, you can turn off any RF emissions so that, um, you know, they, if, if you want to just have it fly pre-programmed route, um, it should be super easy unless they have GPS jamming going on. The Russians do, but um, yeah, I'd be, I would be curious if anybody knows um, how the Ukrainians are, are detecting these drones, if, if it's just the eyeball or if there's another means um, maybe like, uh, you know, some sort of electronic device that, it, that, that monitors for their video or control frequencies or something that would be interesting to know. I mean, back in my day, we would basically perpetually be in a position of having to keep our eyes open for those deeply obnoxious drones just just with the Mark I eyeball. One of the reasons we hated them so much. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds terrifying. I mean, because, uh, I mean, if you have a small fixed-wing battery-powered um, aircraft, uh, say, a 1,000 feet or so, 300 meters overhead, I mean, they're practically... They practically make no sound, and um, if it's hazy or if they're operating in the sun, or um, I mean, they would be. That seems like that'd be scary because I'm you're you're not necessarily going to see, uh, um, you know, every drone that's overhead. So that's got to be sort of a constant worry in the back of their minds. Those Orlands, at least, are combustion engine, and I know exactly what you're talking about with the battery powered. Uh, wing flight planes. Liberal did it again. Uh, I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Don't sweat it. It happens. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, though. Those those little planes that are uh, using wing lift instead of being a quadcopter are stealthy, quiet. Uh, I don't know what kind of lift capacity they would have, and I strongly suspect that they wouldn't use anything like that to try and drop a weapon on anybody like one of those mortar rounds just because that would be damn near impossible to uh, do accurately. I've only seen them do that with quadcopters. So if they were going to use any kind of fixed wing aircraft, it would be purely for a uh, battle space awareness type application or to be able to sight the artillery rounds that were coming in. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's they're, they're ideally suited for that. Um, I did see, however, I saw, I, I can't remember what they called it, but there was a particular fixed wing, pretty big fixed wing aircraft that they were using um, with modified like tank grenades with fins 3D printed on the back of them. Um, I don't know how accurate that would be. I'm not sure. It seems like it would be pretty difficult to be accurate. Um, but I would think that would be damn near impossible. Just Yeah. I mean, and maybe not. They've automated the majority of, of dropping weapons like that from aircraft anyway so i don't know why they couldn't uh, apply the same technology to a drone but uh, right all i've seen thus far was quadcopters that pretty much hover right over the top of either you know the sunroof of a car or some guy yeah. walking through a field and he just has a really bad day all of a sudden and right obviously didn't hear the quadcopter operating above him before he has a you know spontaneous explosion at his feet yeah, those are those are incredibly inf- effective. Cool, thank you. Uh, I don't know if we had Joe or Ian next. Ian, can you go ahead? Perfect. Uh, thank, thanks, Joe. Uh, I was <clears throat> going to ask the question, but as I, as I was waiting, I was looking up the answer, and it, it seems to be uh, like it can. I don't know if it would need modification, but counter battery, you know, radars that they have to intercept um, artillery shells. I imagine I was just thinking that's a possibility they could detect uh, drones and oh, uh, absolutely. So I'm, they may be using using that. Uh, I I don't know if that would wouldn't look exactly like a bird though. Uh, I don't know if those more home in on the the speed of the projectile. Uh, I, I didn't get very deep into the research uh, just googling it, but it does seem like um, like the radar systems that were developed for you know countering artillery uh were uh radar repurp- yeah we're really advanced that's uh one of the things that uh 
they research here in the state where I live because we have uh, extreme weather events. But I know for a fact, certain times of the year, you can see swarms of bats uh, coming out of caves and they're visible on the local weather radar systems as they come out at, at dusk. So yeah, if you can pick up a swarm of bats on a radar uh, and they can do some pretty crazy stuff, whether they have radar technology deployed like that in a theater of war right now is a whole nother story and whether or not they would apply those resources towards uh, a potential drone in a you know very obscure spot in ukraine is is probably the the most debatable part of this thanks ryan uh joseph I guess so. Uh, maybe maybe we can call this part like, and Portland explains why there's like a perfectly reasonable explanation why you can't do this. Uh, so I just said my I guess my first one is so uh, as uh, Ryan mentioned, uh, the Orlon is uh, powered by gasoline. Uh, is there any way to like program something that goes after a, a fume or trail of gasoline, uh, or is it just not? sensitive enough uh, uh of a trail to to follow that's not enough heat yeah not enough heat um and the chemical vapors um well if you were okay with this thing being easily diverted to your own exhaust fumes um maybe you could try that but i would rather not be in possession of a weapon that will make a beeline to the nearest trail of combustion products and kill me. Um, you know, I, I, that seems uh, like a deeply flawed design choice to me. All right. Proposal number two. I'm like a, I'm like a young guy at Aerodivizka and like, you're like this, the commanding officer. And I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you what our brainstorm came up with. What about drones that kill other drones? I mean, or I guess maybe a better term for, for it would be a loitering munition uh, that, uh, goes after other uh, drones, uh, you know, kind of explodes like the uh, switchblade, but in the air. Uh, or is it, are the distances too big that they can't? De- they don't have the sensors to detect something. Thanks. What you've just described is a surface-to-air missile. Right. It's easier to just keep it on the ground than just let it loiter. Right. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. You know, yeah. your 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 alternative. Yeah, your your your. Uh... Your alternative presumes the counterfactual, which, um, uh, you know, know, that's a little bit of a problem. All right. All right. Last one. I guess so in terms of like energy budget, we've talked about uh, using uh, electronic warfare means to take these down, although you've said that these these particular class of drones are kind of in between. But you've also talked about actual like laser fire. In terms of like energy budget, I mean, uh, are they comparable? Uh, it's which which would you say is a, a more like lucrative uh, way to go? The direct laser route or just the the signals route? Thanks. Um, probably in the immediate tactical sense, where you have a problem and you need to solve it right now. Um, going the signals route is a strategic big picture option um uh shooting it with a laser if you have one um is a oh shit there's a drone right there right now and we need to kill it um attacking the signals defines an area where the drone cannot go but it doesn't actually knock the drone out of the sky um are you you seeing where where things are going wrong here right yeah, I guess like they're two different uh, uh, concepts. Like one is more of an area denial, and one is more of a direct countermeasure. I guess you might say, right? Exactly. So, yeah, you get it. That makes sense. Um, I guess like maybe just to to try to understand it a little better. Um, in terms of like, let's say that they've got on their radar that a drone is up in the air. Uh, we we at least in my understanding, the Russians will start turning on their electronic countermeasures. Is that? I mean, do they start doing area denial once they know it's there? Is that uh, a thing that happens in terms of their countermeasures, or, or no? Am I kind of getting it wrong? Uh, uh, breaking news here. Um, there are photos that just surfaced online. Uh, they were posted, and they confirm the very successful Ukrainian rocket strike on Snake Island, which, again, was perpetrated yesterday 
there were multiple reports from uh, locals in the area that uh, basically testified and uh, corroborated the information about the successful uh, attack, rocket attack, Ukrainian rocket attack on Snake Island. And there were fires visible from the shore. Right now we actually have the photos which were taken, at least part of the footage which was taken from the Ukrainian drone, TB2 drone basically directing and uh, overseeing the successful Ukrainian rocket attack on Russian facilities, Russian invaders' facilities on Snake Island. The link is in the nest. Uh, again, it's quite uh, spectacular footage. We still don't have the video, but I believe like in the previous cases, it should be appearing sometime soon. Uh, but the explosion is quite substantial, to say the least. It's a massive explosion, extreme amounts of damage perpetrated to, to Russian equipment, Russian gear on the Snake Island. Um, I believe there were some uh, speculations online by uh, various sources uh, that claimed um, in a weird uh, way that attack did not happen which was odd, uh, but again, right now we have uh, confirmation. Uh, prior to that, we had uh, basically confirmations from witnesses in the area who observed the fires and the strike on the Snake Island, and right now we actually have the first photos. Right now it's stills from the video feed from Ukrainian TB2 drone strike, uh, but again, yeah, they are quite impressive. They're linked here in the nest. If you could, please share and retweet. Uh, it's quite a, quite a big deal and uh, quite a victory for, for Ukrainians and I believe most of Russian facilities and uh, Russian equipment, if not completely destroyed in this attack, has been suppressed effectively on the Snake Island. Again, the link is here in the nest. Please do share and retweet it. And back to you, Ryan and Liberal. So, uh, I had a quick question. The second image there, is that uh, just one particular spot on the island or is that the, the whole island engulfed in a bright white flag? I'm trying to make out what, what my eye is seeing there. Is the... I believe that's the flash itself. It's not the whole island. Okay. I was trying to tell if that was zoomed in on a specific part of the island. Uh, I guess I'll just have to wait for the video. Thank you Pretty... for the update. Sorry. Pretty amazing that a TB2 was operating so close with all that anti-aircraft. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, radar on the island. I don't know if maybe they had intel that showed that uh, said that it was not not up and running yet or something. Yeah, well, the TB2 was actually operating in the area. If you recall, uh, it successfully, essentially, I wouldn't say directed the strike, but it observed the successful strike with Harpoon missiles, two Harpoon missiles, which were fired and hit the Russian tugboat. Um, the, the, tugboat the large modern Russian tugboat um, that essentially was on the resupply run to Snake Island and was struck and essentially destroyed by two Harpoon missiles, and the TB2 drone was also overseeing that. And apparently that was the same case in uh, in regards of Snake Island. Uh, again, the attack was successful. It, it did happen. Um, for whatever reason, there were some pundits and uh, uh, amateurs that claimed just the opposite, but I believe that's always the case. We had the uh, confirmed reports from the locals in the area since yesterday regarding fires that were observed uh, by the locals on the Snake Island. And now we have confirmation, uh, visual confirmation from TB2, uh, basically video link or video feed. For now, it's stills, by, but I believe soon we'll have some kind of a video from that, from that drone as well. But again, it's uh, quite impressive regarding the scale of the explosion and the damage. So good riddance. Um, 
last Russian invaders on Snake Island. It's going to be quite challenging for them to, to cling to that if they still have some force in there. Uh, would this explain the video that uh, you saw yesterday, Portland? Which one? The uh, one of the violent deflagration? That one, yeah. I need to see the video. Um, I'm looking at this, and, like, clearly that is Snake Island, uh, but there's no timestamp on it. Um, it doesn't look like a video from the last strike, but it, in theory, could be. Um, there isn't enough, there isn't enough information here for me to, like, hang my hat on. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of my job to be deeply skeptical. When the video comes out, I'll be able to figure out more of what's going on. Sure, I believe the previous time we, we had, like... 12 hour or so um, delay in between like the announcement and then uh, the footage appeared. So we'll yeah. just have to wait. The uh, They're pretty tight with the OPSEC and everything. So, But again, as locals oh. were confirming since yesterday, it did happen. And uh, uh, <laughs> right now we are seeing that it didn't just happen, but it was quite, uh, quite... So it happened exactly. in a spectacular way. Exactly. Uh, Walter, one final question. Uh, do we have any speculation on what uh, type of weapon system was used in the strike? Or no, not yet. Not yet, so I'd rather not speculate. Fair enough, yeah. thanks. Well, last time it was a combination of uh, two different types of uh, Soviet-era aircraft. Am I mistaken there? I think it was like an SU... I don't know these numbers, like an SU... 27 and a 24 sorry i'm i'm not a air force guy yeah uh, i believe this is one of those was su-27 it's like air superiority crap but i believe they adjusted it to, to drop just a couple of dumb bombs like fab something okay so yeah we'll we'll know more in probably a day or two i'm sure uh this stuff was collected by the Ukrainian military, and they'll be more than happy to uh, release it as it becomes available and safe for them to do so. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Have a good night. Um, Adrian, did you have a question? I don't know if Adrian or Ian were next, uh, but... Uh, Adrian or Adrian was next. Okay, yeah. I Sorry, I got a little distracted there. Uh, I'm not sure where we, where we stopped. Um, hi guys, uh, just a brief question on this uh, breaking news to Portland. So I, I looked at the pictures as well and looking forward to see more confirmation with the video. I'm also uh, thinking that um, open source satellite uh, imagery should appear today if the strike uh, happened yesterday, right? It takes about 24 hours. So my question is... Um, uh, if we don't see any video from the Ukrainian armed forces and we only just have the pic these pictures for a while until the satellite imagery shows up, um, will it, if that explosion is accurate and that big, will we be able to see some traces? Could the Russian hide, uh, hide the impact in 24 hours? A blast that big will leave, um, easily identifiable um, uh, ejector all over the island. No, I, I, I would look at that satellite photo. You know, there was no sign of blast damage on the island on the last set of uh, photos I saw, which was about 12 hours ago. Um, I would... I'm, I'm going to withhold judgment and not speculate until I see the next round of photos because a blast that big would be impossible to conceal. What the hell would make an right, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, I'm looking at the first video now, or excuse me, the first still shot, and noticing that uh, the cloud is larger in width than it appears the island is, and I, I'm sure there's some optical distortion there, but still, uh, I'm wondering... And I guess my question here is what on earth could make a blast that big? I guess maybe secondary explosions and a little bit of time for the the smoke to uh, 
dissipate? Well, I mean, there are, there are multiple strikes on the island. That's that that's the claim, right? So maybe some of those those smoke clouds are left over from previous hits and the fireball you're seeing is you know strike number three or something you know yeah so there's just some dissipation there and yeah maybe um but one the question i had was um to portland portland i it was it was suggested that the tb2 taking this uh video um uh was significantly closer to the island than uh previous uh videos uh, of previous strike Is, is there anything about that still that 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 can tell you that it was closer or could it be just uh uh, uh, zoomed in, but with uh, better resolution than the previous video or previous, you know, a still from the previous video. Is there anything about this that suggests that TV2 was in fact closer? Give me just a moment. I'll be right back. I have a comment. I have a comment on that. Um, so uh, I'm not a military guy, but I work with cameras and optics. Uh, so uh, yeah, the the background separation of the shot is definitely taken with a zoom lens, but compared to other pictures and footage that I've seen, uh, you know, out at sea of uh, targets being struck, it seems like the background separation, like the dis- like uh, how the island looks compared to the background water, it seems like it's somewhat closer to me, like... Uh, uh, you know, like the the lens didn't need to zoom in that much or as much as we saw, for example, with uh, those uh, patrol boats uh, that were uh, uh, blown up a few weeks back. That's my thought, but I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. It looks it looks that way. You know, I, I also I work in um, film and uh, uh, so, um, you know, I have some. Uh, some experience looking at photos and different uh, with different lenses, zoom lenses or prime lenses. But, you know, I, uh, and it looks to me like it is. I just was wondering if, yeah, if Portland's analysis of it suggested that from something other than just what, you know, uh, the gut feeling from, from what it looks like to to the eye. Uh, And then which, which obviously, and then just, just for the enjoyment of speculation, uh, then, you know, I wonder if, and if that's, I'm sorry, I muted you inadvertently. Oh yeah. No, no worries. I don't know where I cut off, but basically I was, uh, you know, if, if that, if indeed the TV two was closer and within distant, you know, uh, uh, range of the, uh, of the air defenses on the Island, you know, just for the fun of speculation, you know, maybe the Ukrainians were, indeed waiting for them to run out of fuel and uh and uh maybe that's uh maybe that's what happened but anyways i'm just curious if when portland gets back whether he has an idea of how far away it was and i have another thought um i'm just looking at the picture it seems like um i'm very careful in saying this because um uh, i might be speaking out of my rear end but i'll go for it anyway um it seems like the um, so if it's like less zoomed in so let's say it's middle length i don't know let's say 300 millimeters or something like that i don't know how much these tb2s can zoom in uh but if it's like medium uh, medium zoom let's call it that for a tb2 uh, it seems to be a pretty high altitude compared again to some of the other footage we have seen so uh, i'm just wondering uh, i don't know how high a tb2 can go but i'm just wondering i mean as much as i heard about their sam capability and what they have on the island tours and maybe even an s300 um i mean it seems like uh it's in a place where it would be a great target for air defense so i don't know but uh, i'm looking forward to the satellite imagery that will come up and so on uh, brad go ahead Hey, um, I just posted some satellite imagery. Um, I want to uh, basically say it, the source appears credible. It's dated the 20th. Um, but again, this is not my domain. So I would defer to somebody else to completely verify it. But again, the source looks pretty good. Um, it's in the nest. Um, the red dot. On the satellite image, I'm not really sure what. 
the red the red dot would be um fire if you zoom in on it if you zoom in on it it's shadow behind it yeah if you zoom in on it's it's you know it's image quality is not great it's pixelated but um it this is for somebody uh with a different skill set to verify and tell us if it's i'm just throwing it out there as, as something that i saw that looked interesting and I, I would love to hear somebody who uh, is a little bit more attuned to that type of thing to, to weigh in on it. Well, that would not be me. Sorry, I can't help. I am not a <clears throat> geospatial analyst. Can I, sneak in, mother, but... can I sneak in here with a, a couple of observations that tie together the TB2 over Snake Island with the previous conversation on, on drones? Sure, Dan. Go ahead. So... First thing, and this was discussed earlier about someone was asking about counter-battery radars. Almost all military radars have been built more or less forever with a very simple cheat that they basically filter out everything below a certain speed. And that gives, and that vastly simplifies the rest of the signal processing. And drones have basically broken virtually all pre-existing radars because they fly below that speed. So if you turn the, the speed filter on your, if you have a radar where you can turn the speed, the speed filter is adjustable as opposed to being like, you know, hard, uh, hard built into the silicon, silicon, and you turn that speed filter down to where you can see a drone that's going less than 50 miles an hour, your screen just completely fills up with stuff and you just get a vastly less usable picture of what's happening. So that's, that's something that I assume a whole bunch of people a whole lot smarter than I am are working on rather hard, but it's, I don't know how, I don't know how far along they are towards solving. And then what, what the TB2 off of Snake Island demonstrates and has been demonstrating all week, basically, is that a drone can do militarily useful things from a long way away. And that gets into a very difficult problem in both detecting and killing it. So it's one thing to be able to say, well, we can kill all the drones within 5,000 meters, but if the drone is calling artillery on you from 30,000 meters, whether it's vertical, some combina whatever combination of vertical and horizontal, you still have a problem. And so the, you know, I really do think Portland is right that the lasers are the long-term solution, but what I can find open source, and I don't have any other kind, but there's like four of those in Arizona testing, and that's about it on the planet. And, uh, I'm sorry, I, I lost the end of that. There's four in Arizona and what?